Hello and welcome again to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Firstly, I'd like to start today with a bit of a smile and to say that it's great to see that these podcasts have been listened to all over the world. We now have listeners from the United States, from Vietnam, France and the Netherlands, as well as here in the UK. And it's great that I'm managing to reach a lot of people and people are listening to these podcasts. I hope it continues and I hope I can keep giving you full on content, things that you really want to listen to and things that you can hopefully take away from it. So thank you very much for our listening. And uh, today we're going to crack on and we're going to go into fasting, Alzheimer's disease and autophagy. So firstly, what is fasting? Well, fasting is going without putting any energy into your body from external sources, basically food. Um, notice I avoid saying calories there simply because calories as a measure of energy is fundamentally flawed. Um, it is non-fungible. Calories are not fungible. It means that calorie a calorie is just not a calorie. To understand this, maybe it helps to think like this. A measure of electrical energy is a watt. Light bulbs are measured in watts. A watt cannot be disputed in terms of its output. Just as any cyclist knows, if you can produce a certain amount of watts by turning the pedals, then that reading is relatable to every other cyclist out there. Whereas calories are very different in different foods, such as something like a whole chicken, would be 800 calories, let's say. And then also a litre of fizzy pot may also be 800 calories. So are you going to get the same amount of energy from each one? The answer is no, simply because calories are just made up. <laughs> They're made up by the sugar industry. If you're trying to count calories, you may as well be counting unicorns. All it does is initially starve your body of what it needs. And hunger will always win in the end. So this is not a good thing. To limit your calories is just a way of long-term starving. And nobody can sustain that. That is why so many diets fail. And so many people go to these big corporations who en encourage you to calorie restrict and count your calories and count this and count that. And eventually you will fail because the body wants nutrients, it wants food, and you are starving the body of what it's trying to get. If we are just eating until we are full, until we are satiated, and eating our nutrient-dense food, the body has its own barometer and will tell you when it's full. You won't have to count anything. It, eat your nutrient-dense food, eat your protein, eat your fat, and it will tell you when to stop. So at this point, I guess you could say, so why is starving yourself any different to fasting? Well, starvation is usually not voluntary and it means starving your body of all the nutrient dense food that you could be getting. It can also act to break down muscle and bone and force itself to eat itself to get exactly what it wants from anything. Whereas fasting is slightly different. Fasting we usually use predominantly to break down fats and produce ketones and its intention is voluntary, aiming to preserve muscle and to preserve bone by eating our nutrient-dense diet either side of our fasting windows. 
So therefore, in order to fast and to not starve, we must have a suitable nutrition to do this. And by suitable nutrition, I obviously mean the low-carb, high-fat and protein-based diet that we all need to strive for. So I just want to clar clarify that. I just want to clear it up a little bit. I said there's no need to count calories. All we have to do is eat until we are full. This is exactly what an optimum nutrition is. If we are not eating nutrient-dense food, i.e. animal produce, basically not a plate full of fruit or veg or worse, even the processed carbs we mentioned earlier on, then we will not get full at mealtimes. Protein and fat will fill us up. The rest is just not nutrient-dense enough and will have us hungry again in no time. There is a saying in the industry of optimum nutrition, and that is snacking. Snacking is a sign of not enough nutrient-dense food at your last meal. So there's no need for snacking if we're eating a nutrient-dense nutrition. Most people thriving for the best nutrition will find two or even just one meal a day is sufficient enough to stay satiated for the whole day. In fact, snacking does more harm than good as it spikes our insulin, like we said last time. But anyway, let's get down to fasting. This episode is about fasting, so let's talk about how fasting actually works. So in order to fast properly, it is essential that you have the correct nutrition first. Once you have a good, low-carb, high-fat nutrition, your body is ready to perform fasting to its potential and get into ketosis and perform autophagy. So these are terms that you may not have heard before. So let's get down to it and unpack each one. What is autophagy? Well, autophagy happens when insulin in the body is low. The body is in fat burning mode and has already gone through ketosis. And from last time, we know to get low insulin, we must not consume food. Cell regeneration is another way to define autophagy. What that means is our body discards old, unwanted dead cells and replaces them with brand new, or instead repairs them to make them like new. Yes, that's true, we can actually rid ourselves of problem cells. These dead or damaged cells are the ones most likely to turn into cancer or tumour cells. So repairing or disposing of them has got to be a good thing. So cell regeneration or autophagy is the key to longevity. If you never let this process happen, then you're decreasing your chance of longevity. Contrary to belief, fasting also increases your metabolism or metabolic rate. It is certainly not eating smaller meals more often that does this. We know the more frequently and more meals you have, the more insulin spiked, reducing any chance of getting into autophagy at all. And by way of snacks, things that I mean are when you ha even have a drink of tea with milk in it, a bit of fruit, a biscuit, basically anything you consume. 
So you'll get the odd person saying, yeah, I only eat two meals a day. That's what I do. But then they'll always, they'll often say, I also have four coffees, four milky coffees at different points to their meals. So the coffees will spike insulin just as a small snack would. Therefore, you're actually having six meals a day and six times you are increasing insulin within the body. And by now, hopefully we know that that's never going to burn any fat. So we need to teach our body how to burn fat and to burn fat effectively. This is how we'll be able to fast effectively too. At this point, we should say that we do actually have two different kinds of fat. We have brown fat and we have white fat. The brown fat contains more of the mitochondria and is primarily used to burn energy to, inside. Whereas our white fat, the, the big horrible fat that we usually see around somebody's stomach or somebody's leg, this is our storage fat. Now we can turn our storage fat into brown fat and by doing fasting this is what happens. Once the brown fat has used all its mitochondria and burned all its energy, then it recruits the white fat by making it initiate itself into recruiting more mitochondria and become an energy burner itself. This is how our metabolic rates change. So if you can get a white cell to burn energy well, you will have a higher metabolic rate. And it's actually ketosis that helps activate these white cells to start using their energy. Meaning short fasting actually increases your metabolic rate. So how do we get into ketosis in the first place? Well, ketosis can only happen when we're in fat burning mode. And it is when glucose is so low in the brain, the brain produces its own energy supplement called ketones. The brain is our primary energy hog. Every minute of every day, our brain is hard at work and of course requires lots of energy to perform. It recruits energy from cells producing glucose just as muscles do. However, as we discussed last time, if you are insulin resistant, these cells may not function properly. And it will force our brain's uptake of glucose to be inefficient. This is where people often suffer by getting migraines, seizures, and where the disease of Alzheimer's starts. So Alzheimer's happens when the brain is unable to go through autophagy and produce ketones. If we train our brain to go without glucose for short periods, i.e. fasting intermittently, or short fasts of two to three days, then ketone production and autophagy can take place. So as I say, ketones are to the brain as fat is to the rest of the body. As the brain cannot burn fat for energy like our body can, when glucose is low, the brain finds an alternative energy, which are ketones. And these ketones can only be produced in the brain once our body is in fat burning mode. Once in fat burning mode, our brain has no problem producing ketones for its fuel. And studies have shown people who suffer from seizures or, or show the signs of Alzheimer's actually improve in cognition when fueled by ketones. 
So if you train your brain and give it the ability to use both glucose and ketones as its fuel, it is much more of a flexible machine. Just the same as our bodies are when we're able to burn glucose and fat both as fuels. When our body and our brain are both capable of picking and choosing a fuel, then this is a term known as metabolic flexibility, which simply means, as it sounds, it means you have the ability to use any source of energy for fuel. But as we know, too much glucose well, will inhibit fat burning, as it will inhibit ketone production as well. So all this again comes down to our nutrition. We know our body can function well by using fat as energy. However, this generally has to be done by training it to do so from a carb-rich diet that most people already eat. So our body will never lose the ability to burn glucose as fuel. So we don't have to worry about that part. All we have to worry about is training it to burn fat efficiently. Now, once you're in ketosis, once the brain is producing ketones for energy, the next step is autophagy. But autophagy is very individual and there's no specific time to say when somebody is in autophagy. It is thought that once you are in ketosis, you are then starting to be in the early process of autophagy. However, a guideline is somewhere from 18 to 24 hours. You would likely be entering into autophagy from there. If you can, however, get into autophagy, this is obviously cell regeneration, like what we talked about before. If you can train your brain to produce the ketones and then progress into autophagy, it is very unlikely that you will get dementia, Alzheimer's, or any other brain-related problem, as autophagy is paramount for cell regeneration. And if there's anywhere in the body cell regeneration is needed, more than anywhere else, it's in the brain. Our prized organ is our brain, so let's look after it. So you should by now beginning to get a picture of saying that fasting is a great asset to have within your nutrition toolbox. And that's just what it is. It is an asset for your nutrition toolbox. Fasting can be, and probably is, most commonly used as intermittent fasting, such as a 16-8, where you fast for 16 hours a day, and then you have an eight-hour eating window for a couple of meals, or one meal, perhaps. While this 16-8 type of fasting may not get you into autophagy, it will certainly get you into ketosis if you are consuming the correct nutrient-dense diet in the first place. It's a great starting point to build your fasting muscle on because fasting, like anything else, takes time and takes practice to perfect it. It's no good jumping straight into a five-day fast without ever trying intermittent fasting or a smaller 24-hour fast beforehand. Your body simply won't know what's happening and will not react properly. 
However, I say that this form of intermittent fasting will not get you to autophagy. But as I said earlier, every single person is different and some people will reach cell regeneration a lot earlier than others. If you add in hormetic stresses, then these can increase or bring on autophagy a lot sooner. And by hormetic stresses, I mean things like cold water therapy, like having a, a good cold shower or even exercise. Exercise while fasting can push you further into autophagy faster and sooner. We'll touch on this a little bit more in our exercise episode. But for now, if you use exercise as a good tool whilst in a fasting state, then it could bring on autophagy a lot sooner than just fasting alone. Now, I hope there I've shed some light into fasting and how crucial it is within our optimum nutrition. It's essential for longevity, for keeping disease at bay, for cell regeneration and for burning fat. And everybody has fat to burn and everybody can get into ketosis, no matter how skinny or how fat or obese you are. In fact, this, this is one thing that, that really irks me. It's when I see people uh, carrying more weight than is necessary, let's say, and then they go start out on a walk or a hike wearing a belt containing bars and energy gels and energy produce. And these people have all the energy they could ever need. They just have to learn to access it. Every single cell in their body is the equivalent to one of them energy bars or energy gels they're carrying. They literally have thousands just around their torso alone. So encourage your friends to get healthier by ditching the sugars, ditching the carbohydrates. We know it will help us later in life and it will help us avoid chronic diseases and it will give us all the energy we will ever need. And before we leave this fasting episode, I'd just like to say that if you ever do get into fasting and really enjoy the process and want to fast for longer, somewhere between two to five days or even longer if you're very experienced, then you must be careful how you break it. Having a great nutrition beforehand is the first step, then fasting, then when you break your fast, it is very important that you take care of your nutrition the other side. What happens is after 30, around 36 hours, the body starts to shut down its digestive enzymes in the stomach and will be unable to cope with vast amounts of food once you begin eating again. So you need to start slowly with small snacks, something like rehydrated chai seeds or a glug of apple cider vinegar or a couple of little scrambled eggs. You're best to try and avoid dairy straight away and work your way up to big meals again. It usually takes around about six to eight hours for your stomach to repopulate its bacteria and its digestive enzymes. You will know if you've gone too much too quickly because you'll really have to visit the bathroom. So just as important as fasting itself is, 
the nutrition either side is. You really only have to worry about coming out of a fast, like say if you're going over something like 36 hours, then you should plan and prepare for your exit from the fast and plan and prepare when and how you're going to start eating again. But anything less than 24 hours, you'll be okay. Your, your stomach should be fine to go straight back into normal meals, normal eating again. So hopefully I haven't bored you too much there today and you can take away something good again from our podcasts. And next time I hope to elaborate a little bit on myself. Yes, that's right. I'm going to introduce the host. It's only taken four episodes and then episode five. I'm just going to do a little bit of a shorter one. I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this, um, where I'm from, my background the things I'm interested in and the people I hope to help with this podcast and by sharing the word of optimum nutrition. So stay tuned for that one. It could be interesting and I hope to see you again. I just want to pop on the end here that uh, if you're still interested in these podcasts and you really think it's something for you, but are scared to get going, scared to make it happen, then don't worry about it. Just contact me at our email address is human nutrition lifestyle, all one word, at mail.com. It's human nutrition lifestyle at mail, M-A-I-L.com. Or you can direct message me through Instagram. And feel free to join up to our Facebook group. That's our Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Facebook group. If you just want an aim in the right direction or a little bit of guidance, or even if you've got a question you just think that you really want answered, then send it through to me and I'll do my best to answer your question and hopefully aim you in the right direction to your own personal optimum nutrition. If you do want coaching and you do want further help, then like I say, just get in touch and we'll go from there. Thanks a lot and hope you have a nice day. Goodbye for now.